Welcome to Job Seekers Radio. I'm Andrew. And I'm Scott. This podcast is meant to provide you meaningful support to find great careers faster. Whether you are working or not. By the way, today's episode is brought to you by... The Anatomy of a Networking Conversation. It's, it's an ebook that we put together for you. It's free. So you can download that on jobseekersradio.com. In today's show, we talk about a recent article that was published in the New York Times. We will actually put a link to the article in the show notes. Just as a Cliff Notes version of this article, it was talking about people that still can't find jobs in today's marketplace. So really, we're, we're covering a topic called, what do I do when I just can't find full-time work? Right. And I, I want to start out by saying that I've been in those shoes. Um, back during the Great Recession, I spent three years looking for full-time work and was not successful until three years later, finally landing a job. Given that I have personal experience with it, I have a very different idea of what that looks like from those who have been working all their lives. Yes, it makes me more empathetic. It makes me more sympathetic for those who are currently in a similar situation. Also, just this past week, I had a chance to talk to a woman who is now in the same situation at three years, still unable to find full-time employment. The fact that this article came out in the New York Times this week really hits home. What's different is that we're now in a period where unemployment is remarkably low, although I will say it's still just as warped a number as when the Great Recession was happening while during my three years of unemployment because there are so many people who don't get counted in the unemployment numbers. We'll talk or we'll hear talk a lot mm -hmm. about how we're at historically low percentages. That doesn't address the fact that there are people out there who still mm -hmm. are dealing with long-term unemployment. Let's also recognize when I see a headline like that, it's designed to get clicks and yes. sell advertising and sell newspapers, okay? On both sides, right? So here's the bad and here's, you know, the lowest employment in forever. Right. Uh, or people still can't find work. It, we're going to these two extremes in order to get people to read our articles. That's the first thing. But there is some data that was included in this article that I thought was worthy of being shared. The rate of people who were unable and just gave up on their active job search in September 2019 was 6.9%. That amounts to about 11 million working individuals in the United States. Willing and able to work. 11 million people is a big number that isn't being counted exactly currently. my point and that means that this is real the fact that people can't find work is real but we're here to offer you actionable items actionable things in this podcast to push through that barrier because you have to i think about the this idea that people stop looking well yes to greater or lesser degrees some people stop looking the way they normally do or the way their unemployment benefits required while they were receiving them after a few months or you know however long your state gives you just because you're not looking in the way they require doesn't mean you've actually stopped looking i i won't discount the fact that yes some people will stop looking they they either can afford it or they have a support network that allows them to 
But even they come back into the job-seeking numbers. Those numbers don't get counted. Well, and you never know who's in and who's not, and who's counted and who isn't, and how do they get these numbers, and how do they really That's know? That's really what I want to um, know. Because well, if it's only I don't really want to know. <laughs> well, I, I'm curious, because having been through it, when they stopped counting me, was it just because I my unemployment benefits ran out? My understanding is that's usually when people stop getting counted, is when their unemployment runs out. That doesn't mean that they have stopped looking. It means they're, they're, they've just stopped counting them. The next step from there is, who are these people? And so that's part of it. So there's really two categories of people I see. People that are just making it, cobbling it together, trying to keep their mind right, and doing whatever it takes to put in right. together. Then the other side of the equation is, okay... Yes, these people gave up looking, but they didn't have to look. And and there's everybody in between. Sure. They're financially okay. They maybe have some assets or a spouse that's working or whatever else. Not that they weren't motivated, but they weren't forced yes. to and find something. They're not in the same situation. Another number that doesn't get counted is all the people that are in jobs they hate. <laughs> and are still looking. Yes. Or that they're working part-time when they need full-time employment. Or they're working for less pay than they actually need at full-time. And so they're looking for a second job to make ends meet. All of these things come into play. That was actually a number they shared in the article that came from Gallup, which is doing all kinds of surveys and research on this kind of thing. And they came up with a number that 60%, right now, 60% of U.S. workers feel they're in mediocre or bad jobs or a multitude of temporary part-time arrangements. So you think about those who have been out of the workforce for a long time or for whatever reason, they can't get the full-time work that they want. They're not just competing with others who are out of work. They're competing with those who are in bad jobs. It keeps that funnel for the recruiters really full. So how do you break through the noise so that you get noticed? It is a perennial issue that we answer questions about all the time. And that's why we talk a lot about networking as an effective search method. But we'll, we'll get to that in a second. I just want to shout out there to those people that are kind of in a portfolio career where I, I feel like I'm in a portfolio career. Like I have some contract work I'm doing with a company. I have my own business doing freelance work. Um, I'm doing this podcast that I guess could be considered a job, even though it's something we do as a labor of love. Right. And I'm in the same situation. I have full-time employment, but I also do work on the side as a gig to expand my reach because right now the full-time job is only, you know, I'm basically a one-trick pony at work and and I love what I do. I want to keep doing it. But this the the side gigs allow me to expand my reach. So these are ways that we can create a larger career for ourselves in a sort of portfolio. I I think that's a great term. And there's pluses and minuses to that. The plus is I have some flexibility to decide. The minus is flexibility means I don't have anything that's consistent all the time, at least in my situation, right? Right. I might have income spurts, not income streams. Exactly. And for those of us who do have full-time work, at least we've got a base that we can rely on. Nobody knows how long that's going to last. It doesn't matter the situation. There are no guarantees. I'm fortunate to have full-time work that allows me flexibility in my schedule so that if I need to do a side gig, I can. And I, I consider myself fortunate to be in that situation. Not everybody is in that. Do your best to find out if that's a 
um, a possibility sure. with your employer. So the other part of the equation, Scott, that when we read this this particular article, people are still relying on the traditional methods of search. And, and nothing wrong with that. Okay. Right. It is something I encourage people to do but when it makes sense. Exactly. Let's look at where we get the results. In a conversation I had with one of the placement uh, professionals here in the Portland area, we were talking about some advice I'd been given by yet another consultant who wanted me to change up my resume and to make it a functional resume, which is fine. Having worked within the HR realm for as long as I have, I also know that generally speaking, a functional resume is an indicator that I don't have the right experience with those skills or in that job. So it's sort of a a cautionary flag, if not a red flag. And I'm not sure I want to do that. And so I asked this consultant, her feeling on it and her response was, use the resume that gets you interviews. I apply that to the job search. Do the kind of job search that gets you results. And if you're doing a traditional job search where you're finding the jobs that you want to apply to and you send off your resume and you actually are getting responses and getting interviews, keep doing that. But if you're not getting those calls and not getting interviews from them, you got to find a different way about it. And each one of you needs to make a decision on your tolerance level sure, or, or what is an acceptable number of interviews based on the applications I'm doing. How much time you have in between those interviews. If, again, you're in the, the lucky group that can just, okay, I've got plenty of money sitting there I can live on, great. Uh, that means you don't need a lot of results right away. For many of us, we need to see something a little faster. We want to see direct correlation between an application and an offer. And that doesn't always come. No. Or even application to interview. We have to look at our conversion rates there, right? And each one of us is going to have something different. The idea is if we're doing job search online, we were talking uh, in a prior episode about this idea that, that a lot of these job search websites probably have people in them that came from casino or are in some ways making their platform a little more attractive to you so you spend more time there because there's no end to it. You search a list of jobs and you think you've gotten to the end and then there's another page, right? And then there's another page and then there's another page. And then if you change one word on your search criteria, suddenly you're getting a whole different list or at least a half of it is different. And so, yes... It's a a process that never ends. If you think about what it is that's actually motivating you as you're doing your search, that's also going to help you understand. If I keep doing the same thing over and over again, the same traditional uh, search or maybe the same non-traditional search, but I keep doing it and I'm not getting results, okay, why do I keep doing it? I'm going to make the assumption that those who keep doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results are not in fact insane, even though that's the definition of insanity. There is a reason. What are they getting out of this? If it's just the dopamine rush of saying, hey, I did my 10 applications today, Okay, that's great. Glad you feel good about it. Tell me where that's leading you. Did you get the call for the interview? Yeah, no. I also think about if all I'm doing is networking and I'm not sending out applications, how is that working for me? Now, I have a preconceived idea that networking is a better way to do it. That's because that's what works for me. Even when I've gotten jobs in the past just from an online application, which has happened, actually, That has happened more often for me than for others I know. But it doesn't mean I stop networking. 
Networking is where I actually get that dopamine, the, the fulfillment, the, the feelings of, wow, that was really a good experience. I rarely get that feeling from an application. But when I'm out there doing the, the networking and I'm talking with people and I have these really great conversations, I get something out of that. So I want to do more of that. And often that's called oxytocin, right? It's it's the positive addictive. The chemical that's chemical going on in, in your brain. brain right. right. Uh, that comes from actually interacting with people and feeling progress. That's good good and organic. Well, and I'm a big believer in making connections, especially as we hear about the traditional online search. Okay. It's funny that we use traditional when that really has only been in the last 20 years. You think about this, this has become the norm. And we hear other professionals, at least I hear it all the time, I'm fairly certain you do too, about how some people love to blame the millennials. They are not the only ones doing this. All they do is use their technology. Everybody starts to pull in and they're using their technology. Just to give you an idea of what that looks like. I've heard so many times people saying, oh, well, you get on your commuter rail, you know, the the, the subway, whatever your commuter uh, mass transit is. And you look at all the people and they're all on their phones. Aren't we a terrible society because we are all on our phones? And I saw online, this was a couple of years ago, a picture of people on the New York Metro line uh, on the commute. They were not on cell phones because, of course, cell phones weren't invented yet. They were all reading the paper. Same process. So let's stop blaming the tools and the technology and all this stuff. We're going to do the same things. What has happened is we now have so much more information, so much more entertainment, so much more of everything available on that technology. And they have these people working for them to keep you on their technology, right? Mm. So there's, there's a lot more going on with that. We have the ability to connect with people if we do so intentionally. And that's the, the advantage of networking. Not to mention the keeping up with the Joneses thing, oh, right? Yeah. Well, where, where people, and, and I see this specifically in job search, where two people have similar skill sets, similar experience, right? Everything seems to line up. One guy gets the job, one guy doesn't, or gal. Take your pick. One person. Right. And the person that didn't get the job feels, what's wrong with me? Or, yeah. or oh my gosh, there's, oh, that person got the job. Oh, that happened to me more than once. Yeah. I came in second so many times during my, my long-term unemployment. Yeah. And I would say to people, always the bridesmaid, never the bride. But seeing that happen online just makes you feel worse. Sure. And uh, Especially thing- if it's somebody you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Son of a gun. <laughs> Actually, good for you. You know, you uh, yes, clap. Yes, of course. And, and, but but and it, I asked on the that inside. person. Yeah. And I asked that person, okay, so what was the process like for you? And that can go one of two ways. Either they had the same experience and they just happened to win, or they had a much better experience and now I'm feeling even worse. That happens too. Uh, That brings up a lot in in the category of self-care, not allowing ourselves to kind of dip in mild depression or at least, you know, going that way to a dark place psychologically. Well, and you've heard me say it before a number of times. It is okay to give yourself permission to rest. That is probably the one thing that kept me sane during the three years of unemployment is when someone said, you have permission to take time off from your job search. Because of course, I had no money left. 
I was living with family because I, I, I was lucky enough to have family to live with. And I, I won't get into that part of the conversation about the definition of, of homeless. The idea is I had a network and I had the significant need to get work. And yet the thing that kept me going was giving myself permission to just take a rest. I wouldn't rest too long. I'm not talking about a whole week or a whole month of not looking, right. but maybe the rest of today. Or never leaving the house, kind of. Oh, that's another thing. Right? Often it was get out of the house because I was spending the whole time in the house trying to find work online. Get out of the house. Go up to the Japanese gardens or go to the, the coast or to go to the park. Do something that doesn't cost me any money. It's doing something that feeds you, that, that, that you're taking care of yourself. And when I was reading this article, it was really interesting that the people weren't really clear on why they were doing what they're doing. And it's so easy, which actually perpetuates, I think, the the depression or at least depressive thoughts, is it blaming somebody else for your circumstance? You know what I mean? Yeah, well... The, playing I, playing the victim. My own experience. I, I was a victim. I chose not to use that term. There were some unfair practices going on at the organization where I was working, and I lost my job, albeit part of a larger layoff effort. The company knew that what they did was not ethical and in a couple of ways illegal. I, I didn't allow that to give me an excuse for not putting my best foot forward. I was victimized, but instead I tried to turn that around to what can I learn from this so that I set up a better fit in my next job. And it wasn't taking the onus off of me. It was shifting it. It was reframing it that, okay, I wasn't treated fairly. What can I do differently moving forward? So I'm really looking at the future, not at the past. What can I do today in this moment that is going to set me on a different trajectory? And I found that to be particularly helpful. That's also what got me involved with The Breakfast Club and moderating that. And I I had a network of people that you included that helped me get onto a very different journey that has helped me enormously. That's why we talk about why am I doing what I'm doing? And often you can look at, let's say, applications. Why am I doing applications? Is that generating results? Why am I staying at home? Right. right? And getting down to that base reason that it's not serving me. And once I get to a point where I've identified something that's not serving me, I need to make a decision to stop doing it. And, and that's hard. Okay. The decision itself may not be that difficult. Well, it's a, the acting on admi- it. That admitting. Will, your point is absolutely spot on. If I figure out why I'm doing what I'm doing and it's not serving me, the next question is, what am I going to do about it? Because if I choose not to do anything about it, then it's nobody else's fault that I'm not making progress. Now it's completely on me. Regardless of the fact that I was treated unfairly and lost the job, right? Mm-hmm. Now it's on me. Now, you're not empowered either. You haven't empowered yourself. Okay. You've disempowered yourself. When I realized I had permission to rest, that also gives me that same permission to now get up and do something different. And is it going to take effort? Yes. Am I going to get tired? Yes. Am I going to fail at some level on this? Yes. And that's okay because those are your learning experiences. We don't learn from our successes. We learn from our failures. Mm -hmm. Our successes validate our choices. When we talk about self-care, we also have to recognize when we're being what I would call absolutist. Like I I never do this or I always do that. And we're going kind of to an extreme. Like networking never worked for me. 
therefore I'm not going to do it anymore. Or applications are right there, they're right in front of me, they're easy, I'm going to keep doing those because they're always there. This fundamentalist mindset that it's just the way it is, then we can't see something new. I often hear people say, you know what, I know I need to try something different, but I feel like I've tried everything. I actually like those conversations because you can pretty quickly figure out some things they haven't done yet. And that's just by asking them about what they've done. Okay, what did you do there? Have you considered that? Tell me about the avenues. Well, what avenues do you think could be there? I also just read a, a brief e-learning on reverse brainstorming. And I, okay, what's that? Well, the idea is instead of brainstorming for solutions, you brainstorm on those things that would make your situation worse. Seriously. Yeah. In leverage. the context of job search, okay, what doesn't work for you? What would happen if you keep doing that? What happens if you dig even deeper into mm. that? And what it does is it starts to really identify the things that you are currently doing that won't be working for you. All right, now I can list out all the things that don't work. Now I can start looking at things that I can stop doing. So if this is true, that by staying at home and only applying to the jobs that absolutely fit all the things that I've been doing, and I'm not getting any interviews for that, if I keep doing that, where's that going to lead? Now I've explored the outcomes, the potential outcomes for the things that I'm probably not doing very well. I can stop doing those because I now am free to think about the things that might work. It's a way to sort of wake yourself up. I really enjoyed the, the little tutorial that I got. One of the things that I found really helpful to me when I when I wanted to focus on self-care was to really catalog my day to know that, okay, I got up at this hour. I did this so that I could, number one, look back at my day and say, okay, I did something today. And that was helpful to me. It was, it was kind of... Uh, you know, that I could demonstrate sure. on paper that I actually did something. It also allowed me to look at what I did and say, what actually worked? Does it really mirror the effective methods of search that we know about? Did I actually leave the house? So now I can see, okay, yes, I may have tried everything, but if I spent seven hours of my day online applications, 15 minutes in networking, went for a walk for 30 minutes or whatever, then I can, I can, I can take a look at that. And yes, I did something today. But does that mirror the effective search that I right. know? from all the research we've seen between 70 and 85% should be in networking. But you're bringing up something that I think is important to at least acknowledge, and that is our own personal styles. Because as you started down the discussion on logging everything and tracking it and all that, that is very analytical, which is part of what drives your style preferences. And for me, that's like, oh my God, I don't want to do that because that's not my style. My style is to get out and talk to people and make those connections. I know people that that would just blow their minds, right? They don't want to meet new people because they're not comfortable, whether they're introverted or anything else. That's just not their style. If I can acknowledge the fact that this is going to take effort for me to log all my contacts and to actually track how it's doing to keep that spreadsheet if you're if that's how you're going to to log the activities that's going to take me some effort that effort actually has value maybe it's not your style to get out and network and so you sort of resist that effort if you make that effort you will have something accomplished. Whether or not it has all the results you're looking for the first time, you will have accomplished something. You will have grown. And this is one of those things where, yes, it's not your style. Do it anyway. I think it's Meryl Streep, among many people, that talks about she takes the roles that frighten her, the things that take you out of your comfort zone. That's where growth happens. As you're looking at the things that, oh, I just, I'm not sure I want to do it, do it. 
Do something different because you will feel like a more whole person by trying it. And the reason I brought up the catalog piece is because it's helpful to identify if people have tried everything that we know what they've tried and how much they've invested in that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yes, I am analytical, but that's how we diagnose Sure. so that we can yeah. provide a treatment as a coach. I have to know these things. If I don't have anything to go on other than your word that you've tried everything, how am I going to know? Well, what does that really mean? I've tried everything. Okay, define everything, yeah. right? You're absolutely right. Even for those of us who don't do the analysis in the sense of putting it one data point together, one data point at a time, I still need to know. These are things that if you don't know, how can I accept that you've done everything? We all have blind spots. So if I've tried everything, yeah. it's everything I know to try. Let's try to uncover the things you don't know to try. Have you put your resume on a, a roll of toilet paper? Right? You can print things on toilet paper. Have you seen that? No. You could actually print your resume <laughs> on toilet paper and put it in the businesses you want to work. Do you think that would work? Um, that would certainly get attention. I have never <laughs> heard of this. I think it's hilarious. Um, anyway, I was if, thinking if it, it was more of a commentary on the resume, but... <laughs> But I, it, it is. Okay. Yeah, well, but hey, th this is an idea. Maybe that's your calling card. I'm not going to give you my business card. I'm going to give you a roll of toilet paper. I just, okay, that's an idea I had never thought of. Believe me, they'll remember me. I do think that you should try new things. If only to give yourself experience at doing things that you're not necessarily going to choose on your own. Because when you think about it, that also is a skill that is transferable in the job market. If you are constantly doing things that take you out of your comfort zone, that teach you new things, that at least give you new perspectives, that's going to help you in an interview. Keep making that effort. Don't do only the things that you know how to do. Talk to people, friends, coaches, uh, your networking groups, your associations, you know, your trade associations, any group of people. Throw it out there that this is what you're doing and let them help you come up with some new ideas. It's amazing what you can come up with in, in these kinds of groups. And for those of you that are still working, I would encourage you to do two things. One, if you don't need to find another job, great. Good for you. But make yourself available to those people Absolutely. who do. So the yep. way you pay it forward and give back to a community is by being available and investing your time as you see yeah. appropriately. I, and then the, the other side is never stop looking. Never right. stop looking. Always have your head on a swivel, as they say in the military. You're always looking for the next thing because there's always, unless you think there's nothing else that's better, which I don't. If, and if you're you, close if, to retirement. Right. And you if can you think that's true, that there's nothing better. The thing is, though, I don't think retirement is better. I don't ever want to stop working. I never want to stop giving, but I would love to get to a position where I don't have to stop working for the paycheck. I am working right now because I need an income. Uh, I would love to be able to work without a need for an income, because then that work would take on a slightly different nuance. Would I continue doing the kinds of things that I do now? Yes, because I love doing it. In fact, it, it's I enjoy it so much it has become part of how I, I, I create my own identity. With that said, there are a lot of people who work because they need the paycheck and they're doing a job that just brings in the paycheck. It's not necessarily something they're passionate about. Here we get back into your point. Keep networking. Keep looking. Keep making yourself available to a larger group of people that can talk to you about what you know, to expand your mind on the things you don't know, to really be honing your interpersonal connection skills 
because that will always help you, even on your current job that you love and you want to keep for the rest of your career. That's why we've created the Anatomy of a Networking Conversation ebook. That's a free download resource for you, the listener, at jobseekersradio.com. You can get the show notes there right. at uh, jobseekersradio.com forward slash 065. Well, with that, we want to thank everybody for joining us for this episode of Job Seekers Radio. Your investment of time and your attention is something we really appreciate. We value that. We really value that. And while you're on iTunes, uh, I would encourage you to subscribe to get the future episodes. Uh, while you're there, it would be really helpful for us to get a rate and review because here we want to make this a better product for you, number one. And number two, if you have questions, you can we can always respond to those right. and get you a direct answer. Yeah. In fact, I, I, I like to put out there, we, we are requesting questions and comments because these are really helpful to other people who may be thinking the same things. So please send those to us. And if you have the question, it's a high probability somebody else has it too. Absolutely. We are happy to answer. Yeah, we want to. I'm Scott. And I'm Andrew. In the words of Gandhi, as human beings, our greatness lies not so much in being able to remake the world, that is the myth of the atomic age, as in being able to remake ourselves. If you change yourself, you will change the world. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.